Welcome to the Coaching at Henley podcast from Henley Business School. This podcast is for anyone interested in exploring the question, why coaching? Here, you'll be joining us in our conversations as we aim to spark provocative thinking, research and practice in the discipline of coaching. In the Coaching at Henley podcast, we share our thoughts, experiences and views on a vast range of topics linked to coaching and behaviour change. Each episode is split into segments where we either explore a piece of coaching-related research and the implications for practice, debate a hot topic in coaching, answer listener questions, or learn from a guest speaker. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Coaching at Henley podcast. I'm Rebecca Jones, an Associate Professor in Coaching and Behaviour Change at Henley Business School. And today I'm joined by my colleagues, Abudi Shabi, a lecturer in coaching. Hi, Abudi. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. And Vicky Rice, also a lecturer in coaching. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Rebecca. So in this episode, we're going to have three segments. We've got an expert interview. We also have Coaching at Henley Discusses. And finally, we've got You Ask Us. So I'm pleased to welcome our guest for this episode, Julie Williams. Julie is founder of her company, Lighting Fires. She's a senior, highly experienced executive coach delivering team and one-to-one training across the public sector, FTSE 250 companies and startups. Julie has an MSc in coaching and behavior change and is a team coaching expert and facilitator. Welcome, Julie. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, it's great to have you with us. So I wanted to get started with asking you whether you could tell us a bit about the work that you've been doing as a coach with local charities to support your community. Yes, absolutely. So in May 2019, Coaching Reading was born. We're a network of qualified or passionate coaches based in and around the town of Reading. We are a warm and lively community of coaches. We meet monthly and we energise each other, refresh our practice together. We run CPD sessions every month uh, and we support our town by providing free coaching to charity and community leaders. So far, we've delivered over 150 coaching sessions as a gift to the people of Reading. We've worked with charities including Reading Refugee Support Group, a homelessness prevention charity Launchpad, a children's charity Pact and Reading Climate Change Partnership. And we're currently working on our stance to diversity and inclusion to help inform our work going forward. And we always go to the pub after our meetings. Well, that sounds amazing and also a lot of fun. And yeah, so... I mean, what motivated you to get involved in voluntary coaching in the first place? If I speak for some of our members first, uh, we often find that newly qualified coaches come to us as a means of gaining coaching practice and experience. It's a great way to build hours and confidence through the pro bono coaching. Our more experienced coaches are sometimes looking for ways to work with clients and people that they might not normally come to contact with. Uh, And obviously all of us are interested in giving something back to the people in the place that we live. For me personally, a while ago when I was on maternity leave, I, I decided I wanted to do some learning. I decided to brush up on my math skills. I went to a GCSE maths refresher course at a local community centre once a week and I met this amazing diverse mix of people and one woman really stood out in my mind who wanted to set up a, a Jamaican 
catering business. Uh, and it really struck me that she was so capable and yet lacking any support or guidance from a coaching perspective. And I'd read about Coaching York, so I contacted them to find out how they've set up and contribute to the lives of the people in York. And I love the difference that they were making in the town. So I spoke to two good friends of mine who are coaches, Jonathan Barring and Debs Jeffries. And we all got quite excited about the idea of setting something up for Reading. So we've been doing that ever since, really. That's great. So I'd be really interested to hear, what do you think are some of the issues that coaches should consider when they're working with charities? I think there are a few issues. I'd say um, charity leaders may not have come across coaching before. So it's important, as always, to explain the difference between coaching, mentoring, consultancy. Also, if the charity you're working with or the cause is close to your heart, it's potentially you could lose your neutrality as a coach. So having awareness of that is really important. Uh, You have to be neutral always. And it can be quite hard to bring the coaching to the end because, again, you may feel really passionate about the organisation and what they're trying to achieve. So I think we always try to look for ways to help people widen their access to support, to have a kind of really good positive ending to the coaching so they know how they're going to resource themselves going forward. Uh, But we do have to remember that people are very resourceful and they can do very well without us. If it's okay, Julia, I'd just like to pick up on one of those points there because that's such an interesting and I think really relevant point about the passion. Now, often when we think about charitable work, we get involved in it because it's something that we really identify with and feel passionate about. And you mentioned there that that can be one of the challenges. I can really see how that would be the case. So what would be your, what's your tip then? Or, you know, I know there's probably many recommendations, but what's helped you, for example, to keep that professional distance or clarity when you're working with a cause you feel really passionate about? Oh, I think it's it's like all your coaching. I always come back to my training at Henley and have to remember that we have to to be useful to somebody, we have to be neutral, we have to be able to step back and and provide, create that kind of space for people to just do their best thinking. So for me to do that, I tend to have a bit of a pause before a coaching session and I will do a short meditation practice, which just helps kind of make sure that I'm present and, and doing my best coaching work, really. So yeah, relying on those kind of tools you've got in place for you, it might be meditation, it might be some, something else for someone else, but and also reminding ourselves about the fact that for us to be service as coaches, it's not, that passion isn't perhaps as helpful as I'm guessing it would be if you were involved in another way in, in a charity. That's great. Thank you. So what would you describe as some of the potential pitfalls of voluntary coaching? We've talked a little bit about some of the issues that coaches might need to think about, but what would you describe as potential pitfalls of voluntary coaching? I think there's an age-old risk that if you give something away for free, people don't always value it. So we have a professional process in place where we expect 
potential pro bono clients to fill in an application form to explain why they think they benefit from coaching uh, any experience they have of coaching and how they'll make time for progressing their actions we also offer clients a kind of choice of coaches so on our website coachingreading.org we have the coach bios so people can kind of pick who they want to work with and there'll be a kind of chemistry session but so far we've just had really positive experiences the vast majority of coaches have stayed the course really committed to the work. Our work has come to the attention of the Mayor of Reading. She recently supported us at a speed coaching event that we ran in Reading Town Centre and she's now invited us to tea in the Mayor's Parlour in January to thank us for our contribution to Reading. And we, we put a lot of time into the coaching into events and the payback is that we have fun and we're doing something we love for the good of the town really. I have to say, listening to you, it's really, uh, really inspiring. It's getting me excited and thinking about how we might be able to do something to help. But it's been so interesting. I mean, uh, my last questions around your recommendations. So if, like me, some of our listeners are thinking, this sounds amazing, I'd like to get involved, what would be your recommendation for a coach who would like to get started in supporting local charities? Yeah. Okay. So, well, I have to give a a plug for Coaching Reading. If you live in the Reading area or Wokingham or Henley or Pangbourne around there, contact us. We'll give you a buddy uh, who tell us tell you more about our work and invite you along to one of our meetings. If not, you could approach an organisation that could that works with lots of charities that could broker a relationship for you. So, for example, we partner with Reading Voluntary Action or Connect Reading, so they've been very helpful. Or, you know, before Coaching Reading, I just used to directly contact the charities that I cared about and approach them and and would just you know ask if they'd like some help I'd have to explain what coaching is a lot of the time but if you feel a sense of passion for an organization it can kind of help on the days you remember you're not being paid for this bit of coaching work. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Julie. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Your passion and energy for this topic is clear and and it's contagious as well. And hopefully it will inspire some of our listeners to get involved with giving back a little bit and using the amazing skills they have as coaches to support their communities and causes. So thanks again, Julie. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Here at the Henley Centre for Coaching, we truly believe that part of our purpose is not only to encourage reflective thinking and learning from others in the world of coaching, but to also encourage open discussion. And this is what we would like to do in this segment, which is Coaching at Henley Discusses. Here we want to explore a range of views, which of course may include opposing views, uh, but have a safe space to bring dialogue together. In this episode today, we are thinking about When is the right time to switch off from being a coach? And what are the dangers of coaching family members and friends? And in fact, whether we can, in fact, switch off at all. Abudi and Rebecca, I would be really keen to hear your thoughts on this. So I suppose my first response to that is slightly flip, but, you know, I've certainly had feedback from friends and family that it's quite annoying when I go into coach mode when they don't want it. So I think that's probably the most important thing is just to think about the impact it might have on other people if we go into coach mode when we're not formally or informally contracted to coach them. Yes, I think 
I agree to some extent, Abudi, but I have to say my experience, I think the things that I've learned as a coach have helped me in my relationships quite a lot, actually, the way that I communicate with other people, members of my family, my husband, my children, my friends. But equally, I am aware sometimes when it's a strange dynamic, actually, because there are times probably when I'm in coach mode and it's not helpful and it's probably annoying, as you say. I'm kind of asking lots of questions when actually they just want me to not do that. But on the other side, I do recognize, especially when I'm a parent, when I probably could be a bit more coach and that would be helpful, you know, when I'm kind of getting impatient and uh, losing my temper about something trivial, I think actually if I could be a bit more coach mode, that would probably be better for everybody. And so, yeah, I guess I'm saying I'm not really sure what I think about this. <laughs> Vicky, what's, what's your experience on coaching outside of being a, a formal coach? This topic I find really interesting and totally pick up your point, Rebecca, of, of being a parent and actually some of the benefits of those skills. When dealing with my daughter, she's eight and brings with her, you know, a whole host of overwhelm with school and all the, the lovely activities that, that come with that. And actually, if I can be just that little bit more present and really you know, really concentrate on my questions, making sure that they are open and clear and calm actually elicits a far better conversation and things will come out that they perhaps wouldn't have done if I was to ask, you know, how was your day? Good. You know, so opening it up to, to have that far, far greater discussion. But equally on the flip side, we've all been, we've all been in conversations with people where you just don't want to be coached. You know, you, you just want to be able to have that conversation and and you're aware that those questions are coming through thick and fast. So I, I feel really on the fence and it is just that, the ability, I think, to know when to to step in and step out and, and really sort of really think what's most beneficial in this conversation right now. But I, I think there is a presence thing thing there. I suppose that makes me think about a distinction between being a coach and doing coaching. And I think, Vicky, when you talk about things like being present, of course, that's great. And, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in our coaching programs is the being of the coach, building capacity for presence, listening, etc. And I think that's really important. And, you know, there is this balance or this calibration between bringing all of those qualities and sometimes running the risk of doing coaching to someone who doesn't really want it. But I definitely think we can benefit from bringing that learning about the being of a coach into all of our relationships. And I think that's actually really helpful. That's a great point, Abudi. I'm just I'm hearing you say that, thinking about being present as a specific example, I think probably listening but attentively or generative listening or active listening, whatever we want to call it. But those principles, being present, listening, I mean, is there ever a time when that's not useful? I, I don't think so. I think when it, whenever you're interacting with someone, that whatever type of interaction it is, that person would like you to be present and listen. So I think those core coaching skills are always useful. I was just reflecting again on the point when you, you said about how it can you've had friends comment that it's annoying and I get that totally and then I'm thinking 
on the flip side of that, as a coach, you know, I have friends that who are also coaches, as you do tend to, when you work in this profession, you know, the people who are coaches. So we have got experience of our friends perhaps being in coach mode when sometimes you just want them to be a friend and you're, you want to have a rant or a gossip or a, just not be a coach for a moment. And I guess that's one of those times that it's quite annoying if they're trying to coach you out of a certain situation. But equally, I still want them to be present with me and listen to the things that I've got to say. So I guess it's that distinction, isn't it, between which parts of coaching that mindset or philosophy or skills we've got that are useful in which contexts and listening to that obviously there's we're talking about active listening and and questions but it's also the the ability to observe from a different lens that as coaches we are very good at in the sense of looking at the bigger picture and actually what is not being said and and actually I think some of those is probably for me something that I can bring to conversations that, you know, you might not even be asking a question or following it, but you're picking up and almost being that that lens to share something back of something that you're observing that perhaps I might not have done, you know, prior to being to being that coach and having that self-awareness. I don't know if that that resonates with either of you two. I don't know how much this relates to that, Vicky, but actually it just prompted another thought in me with something that as I said at the beginning, I feel like I've really learned and benefited a lot from the things I've learned as a coach in other aspects of my life. And I think one of the things that if I was to boil it down that has made the biggest impact is around that awareness that we're all different. And when you're a coach, you get this really amazing, unique privilege to a window into other people's lives and you get to hear how they think and the things that they go through and how they feel and that tells you something amazing about the human experience and it shows uh, what I've learned about that is how different we all are how hard life can be for a lot of people and I think one of the things that's given me is compassion I hope for others to think that even if I might experience a situation one way not everyone is going to experience it like that. And I don't think I realized that to this this extent until I started coaching and having conversations like this, where it really was an eye-opener for me about how different we all are. And, And I think that's an amazing benefit that it helps you take that step back. I think this is where it prompted it from your comment, Vicky. It gives you that different perspective because you've had a bit more of an insight about the real breadth and depth of human experience. And that means you can perhaps, gives you a bit more compassion for other people if they're struggling or they react in a way that is a bit unexpected or they're a bit short and impatient with you. I like to think that it helps me think, okay, well, perhaps there's something going on for this person that I'm not aware of. So I will, I'll assume that it's not me that they're annoyed with perhaps, and I'll try and be a bit more patient with them. Yeah, I really like the introduction of that notion of compassion and understanding where people might be coming from. And obviously, at the moment, lots of people are struggling with lots of issues, maybe economic or socio-political issues, etc. So lots of people, all of us, I would venture, are under pressure. So that capacity for understanding is really important. And I think there's something that also comes to mind based on what you were saying for Rebecca, about sometimes you just want to have a rant. And maybe there's a distinction between the compassion of a friend and the compassion of a coach. 
you know, because as a coach, I might want to help someone figure out the difficulties that they're going through and find a way forward. As a friend, I might just want to be a sympathetic ear or shoulder for my friends to lean on or my family to get support with. And I think that distinction is quite important, actually. It's about this idea of doing stuff with people rather than doing it to them, isn't it? So sometimes as a friend, being compassionate means understanding this person just wants to rant. And that's and my role here is just to listen rather than I'm going to coach them whether they like it or not, <laughs> because that's what I do. So yeah, it's you know, doing it with them, whether they're, if they're open to that or doing it to them. And I guess we've always got to remember that we're doing stuff with someone, partnering with them, whatever that is, whether that's just to be that listening ear when they're they need it. You're absolutely right. Totally support with what you've both said. And uh, something's just triggered in me of something I heard a while back that perhaps I don't practice and perhaps I should take this on a little more. But it's almost having and putting that permission to them of actually, do you just want me to listen right now or do you want me to support you? You know, what? how would you like me to to help you right now? And And really put that back to them of I'm here but I can listen if you want to, or actually we can work on it together. And, and that's just triggered something in me that perhaps that's something that I will, I will take forward a little more. I think this is an interesting topic. And I think from our very short discussion here, I think we could carry on talking for, for much longer. It has come to the time of drawing this segment to a close. For everyone who is listening, we would really love to hear your thoughts on this. And please do get in touch and let us know what this has provoked in your thinking. So now we come to the part of the podcast where we respond to a question submitted by one of our listeners or alumni. And we're always welcoming of questions. So please do let us know if you have any questions that you'd like us to discuss in future podcasts. In this podcast today, we're going to be looking at the question of what is the best way to deal with a client who isn't engaging? For example, when you've had a chemistry session, which went fine, and then in the actual coaching session, the client gives simple one word answers or didn't seem to want to engage at all. And I wonder, Rebecca or Vicky, what are your thoughts about that to get us started in this exploration? This is such an interesting question, isn't it? And a real challenge if you're the coach and you're faced with this scenario. I guess the first thing I would be thinking is, what's going on here? <laughs> what's happened? What's happened between the chemistry session and right now to lead to this change in behavior? And I suppose the first thing I would do, and this is just my approach, is I would I would probably directly ask them. I couldn't, I don't think I could not do it. It would be so distracting for me uh, apart from anything else. So I'd probably say something like, Oh, I've noticed a real shift in the energy between our previous meeting and and what I'm experiencing now. I just wanted to explore that a bit with you. I guess you might still then get a very limited response. That would be the challenge then if if that inquiry didn't really bring light to anything specifically that was going on. Vicky, what's your thoughts on this? I have been thinking about this and it is a tricky one and putting yourself in into that position. For me, there is a whole curiosity piece and in the moment it, it could be difficult, 
but like you say, I don't think I could not actually ask and, and give that ability to to actually sort of reflect back of what I'm actually seeing and hearing, you know, and to treat that as an opportunity to, you know, explore what has happened since that chemistry call. There are lots of things. I mean, we don't know at that point what the distance is between the chemistry call. You know, there could be a whole host of things that has cropped up. It also made me start to think, you know, could this be an occasion where this is coaching being offered as part of perhaps an organisation and actually is there, is part of this an initiative that the organisation has, you know, has put forward and perhaps that chemistry call was was done in light of this is what is happening and, you know, really just thinking about actually what is the buy-in and actually could there be now a feeling of is this something that's being done to me and, and actually why why is there a reason why I'm actually needing coaching and almost having an understanding of what coaching is? You know, some people at that point could have got the chemistry call of as part as part of the organization, but actually what is it? And actually, you know, moving it from a, a done to experience to actually a supportive experience. So again, checking in, asking those questions, having the space as the coach to be able to reflect back and and really get to the bottom because that's all data. It's all data of of what is what is under the what's going on under the skin. I love that, Vicky. And I'm just thinking about this idea of what is coaching and and I have had the experience early on in my career of having a coaching session and certainly getting the vibe that the client was thinking, why are you asking me all these questions? And that sounds like a really perhaps thing to for those that are very familiar with coaching that or certainly I just hadn't thought to the extent that I really need to explain what coaching is and how it's going to work. It's not going to be me telling this person something. It's going to be me predominantly asking questions and them doing much more of the talking. So really down to the nitty gritty basics of this is what it's going to feel like in the session. I don't think we can underestimate the importance of that. And again, I remember back early in my career when I was doing my PhD and I I had a, 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 you have different stages in the process. And early on, I was about a year in and I had to present some of my work to a panel. And none of the panel were coaching experts. They were occupational psychologists. And the feedback I got that they really stuck on was, you haven't described what coaching is. And I was like, why are they going on about this? This is so obvious. This is not the, this is not what it's about. And that was such a valuable lesson for me, for many reasons, apart from the fact that it highlights, if it's not clear to your audience, it's your responsibility as the author or the communicator to make it clear. It's not their responsibility to kind of figure out what you're trying to say. So that's been a valuable learning experience. But in this context, it's highlighting that it isn't clear to everybody what coaching is. And sometimes that alignment of expectations it might be something as simple as that. Have we really explained what coaching is? What is it going to feel like in the session to the person in front of us and not assuming that they've got that knowledge there? Abudi, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Is something you've ever encountered or if not, what what do you think you'd do in this situation? I think there's a lot in what you're both saying. I mean, Let's go back to what you just said, Rebecca. I think it's really important that we contract clearly with our coaches, which can include explaining to them what coaching is and what it might feel like to be coached. 
and I also think there's a if you like a more important issue, you know, because contracting is something I hope that we will do, of what happens when the coachee shows up in a particular kind of way, as was presented in the question. And I think, you know, it's great that we're thinking about the importance of curiosity, because we do need to find out what's different between that chemistry session that appeared to go well, and this interaction now where we're getting one word answers or silences. And I suppose there's something for me as well about when I'm thinking about practitioners is how comfortable are we in the session? Because if I'm not comfortable with a silence or a one word answer, that might be making me kind of in a hurry to get the coachee to speak more, etc. So I think there's something really important about the instrument, you know, of the self as instrument and managing ourselves. Uh, so that we're able to be at peace with this. And it makes me think a lot about the work of Nancy Klein, who uses silence a lot in her work. And being able to have you know, also the idea of unconditional positive regard. It's absolutely fine for the coachee to shout monosyllabic or as Vicky was pointing to, maybe they don't want to be there because the organisation has said that they have to have coaching. And how can we make it okay for them to shout the way that they do, as well as wanting to, you know, help them understand or help us understand why they're showing up in the way that they are? The, um, what you're talking there about, you know, Nancy Klein's work, Abudi, made me also think about, a different type of approach almost of, of a gestalt coach you know actually being an active witness but a participant in it you know and actually being able to use yourself as part of that instrument to be able to in a really safe close way really sort of understand what that distance is and what has happened and what you're observing as the coach and you know this resistance or you know could be or it could be resistance but from now the change that comes from a safety aspect. So really kind of sort of getting curious of what could it have been something in that chemistry session that we'd explored about actually what's going to take place has had an impact on you of, of how we will work forward. Because it might not have been something that's happened to them in that session. It could be something that they have reflected on as part of that, that chemistry session. I think there's some really excellent points that have been raised and all would be really valid areas to explore and get curious about. But I also wanted to highlight some really practical things that could be going on. And again, I've had a bit of experience of this with some coaching that I've done, especially years ago when I used to do a lot of telephone coaching. So you couldn't see where your client was. And so what I've noticed has happened is even though I would contract and set up the importance of a private, quiet, safe space, free of distractions and able to speak without worrying about being overheard, you would sometimes get a client who last minute had to change their location or perhaps hadn't quite paid as much attention. And I would be thinking, where is this person at this moment in this coaching session? We don't know from the question whether there it's a face-to-face -face session and you're in a room together, so this might not be relevant. But if it's online or on the telephone, are they in a public space and they just don't feel comfortable? Has someone just walked in the office? Are they in an office? You will know with our offices at Henley, the walls are paper thin. <laughs> we never do coaching at Henley because you can hear what's happening in the room next door. And I think that's part of the challenge with lots of organisations. The offices aren't soundproof. They're not built with the idea of being confidential coaching spaces. 
And I, I also remembered, I think this was someone who I was talking to who was a Gestalt coach, actually. And those of you that are familiar with Gestalt coaching will know it's often quite creative and experimentative and it, it can involve kind of getting up and moving around and doing different things sometimes. And uh, they mentioned the fact that they one of the things they always talk about when they're contracting is if it's an online session, don't be in an office with glass walls and doors because your colleagues out there will see you perhaps it's going to restrict your openness and freedom to perhaps engage with the coaching. So sometimes there's some practical things we can think about as well that might be at play here. They might not, but it's just another thing to be curious about and, and gather a bit of data, I think. Thanks, Rebecca. And I think you've highlighted again, and you just said it in that last word, the, the curiosity, being curious about both the, you know, if you like, the inner reasons in the coaches' world, as well as very obvious practical external factors that might be impacting it. That brings us to the end of this particular discussion. That's about all we have time for. So thank you so much, Rebecca and Vicky, and to the person who sent in the question. And please do send in more questions for us to discuss in future podcasts. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Coaching at Henley podcast. I want to thank my co-hosts for their contribution and discussion today. So thanks, Abudi and Vicky. And thank you also to our guest, Julie Williams, for sharing her insights into the work she's been doing with Coaching at Reading around supporting charities and communities with voluntary coaching. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching at Henley podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find our podcast, including other Henley business podcasts, from your usual podcast provider. To make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe. We'd also love to hear from you. Tell us what you think about the podcast, and please do send us any questions you'd like us to answer. You can email us via coachingpodcast at henley.ac.uk. Finally, you can connect with us on social media to make sure you stay up to date with any Coaching at Henley news. Find the link in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about Coaching at Henley Business School, check out our website.